Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read this in the ESV. It's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. Uh, If you are here in person, there are ESV Bibles underneath your seats. Feel free, uh, also if you're at home or in person, to look up the scripture in your own Bibles or Bible app. It will also be projected behind me. But we'll give you a moment to, uh, to look that up. Again, it's Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 through 11. And if you're here in person or if you feel comfortable doing this at home, uh, we ask that you please stand as able for the reading of God's word. And we'll respond all together. I'll read it and we'll respond all together with thanks be to God. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to your daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. Well, friends, today's message is called Humble King, Humble Life. Humility is not really something we do really well in this society. What we do well or what we try to do, what we all aspire to, is greatness. That's why we have like cultural icons like Muhammad Ali, who is this boxer, and his catchphrase, his most famous saying is literally, I am the greatest! And, you know, oftentimes uh, you would see Muhammad Ali, uh, like, like the images that we see of him, if you do a Google image search, probably the most famous is of him knocking someone out. And he's knocking him out, and he's like going like this, and he's standing over this dude, and he's just like, ah, this is an exact re- recreation, looks exactly like this. Just kidding. I mean, you, you, <laughs> I think you guys know the image. If you don't, you can look it up. And friends, he is many ways, in many ways, an image of power. And, and that's what a lot of us want. What is power? Power is the ability to exert your will and to make your will happen in this world, right? So anything that you want to happen, it will happen, right? So somebody who is in the boxing ring, they're like, I'm going to knock you out. <laughs> and if they have power, and especially if they have more power than you, then they're going to be able to do that, right? And oftentimes in this world, that's where we see power, right? It's not just power in terms of being able to make things happen, but we know that there are other people who are trying to make things happen too. And so oftentimes power in this world becomes trying to become more powerful than other people, right? Friends, you're powerful. Did you know that? You're already powerful, But maybe for many of us, we're not powerful enough, right? 
I mean, compared to an ant, you're way more than powerful, <laughs> way more powerful than an ant, right? Uh, you, you know, like if you're boxing against, I mean, like a five-year-old, right? You're going to be way more powerful than that person. You know, uh, there was, uh, when I was in high school, uh, across the, 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 the way from us, we, we had this sort of like, um, it's hard to describe our, our housing situation, but it was kind of like recessed from the street. And so, like, really, we could only see, like, one other house. And that house happened to have a kid that loved to play basketball. And I loved to play basketball. We had a hoop out, and I would be there just shooting around, and this kid would come over and play with me. But at the time, I was, like, 16, 17, and he was, like, 11 or 12, right? And so let me tell you, I would crush this kid. Man, I would win every time. And there was one time, actually, where, you know, like, he's 12, right? And I would, like, box out, you know, like, grab every rebound. There's one time where I, like, grabbed a rebound over him, and, and I fell, and, and um, I stepped on his shoe and kind of, like, tweaked my ankle, and I sprained my ankle, and, like, all these people were like, oh. Yeah, so, so, like, it wasn't, like, a, 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 like, kind of a medium sprain. It was, like, a really bad sprain, so bad that I had to get, get a cast, and so a lot of people were like, oh, yo, how did you injure your, your leg? Did you break it? Oh, no, no, it's just a sprain. It's a bad sprain. Happened when I was playing basketball. Oh, when? Yeah, I was playing against this guy. He was like 19 years old. He was this tall. I didn't want to tell people I injured it playing against a 12-year-old, you know? But friends, uh, this is the thing. We don't feel powerful unless certain things are met. You know, like, like, we want to feel more powerful than other people. Other people that we see as also being powerful, right? And, and so for many people in this world, you know, it's not good enough to be more powerful than someone who's, you know, obviously way beneath you, you know, or somebody who's like, yeah, than, than an ant or something like that. But in this society, we're always kind of looking at who has more power than us, And so in this society, we're always trying to get more power. And by the way, friends, if power usually is power over someone else, maybe for some of you, you're like, Pastor Steve, okay, you're talking about power. I don't want to be like a supervillain or anything. You know, I don't want to be like the ruler of the world. You know, I don't aspire for that. But how about this? If we live in a world of power, how do you feel being the one who doesn't have power? Or if someone is trying to exert power over you, maybe you're the 12-year-old kid with a 17-year-old grabbing a rebound over you. You know, how does it feel to be small? And if you've ever been in a situation, I don't know, maybe there was like a work environment where somebody wanted to make you feel small. And so they're like a manager Right? And they're making you come in on a Saturday or making you work extra or making you get them coffee when that's not in your job description. I know we have HR and things like that, but still, these kinds of things happen where people want to feel bigger. And, and so people do that because they want to feel powerful. But if you're on the receiving end of that, that's pretty tough. And so, friends, I, I, I wanted to talk about this and talk about power because Definitely, humility is something we talk about in the church. But I want to make sure it's more than just lip service. It's not just something that sounds good, right? Like, if I were to tell you, like, a Christian, a Christ follower should be humble, 
I mean, how many people would be like, no, of course not. No, of course, like you've heard it, right? Jesus is a humble king. That's a lot of what we're going to be talking about today. You know, and so we know we're supposed to be like Jesus. We're supposed to be humble. You've heard it before. But friends, when we see in this world other people trying to be powerful, trying to make themselves bigger on the backs of other people, and the thought of being that person, it's tough, isn't it? It's not so easy to say, oh, yeah, 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 I would be totally humble in that situation where someone's trying to humiliate me. When someone is trying to make an example out of me, when somebody is making fun of me, belittling me, what does it mean for some of our friends who are like in school, middle school, high school, when someone is trying to be powerful by being a bully? What does it mean to be humble in that circumstance? Right? In this world, we tell people, you can't be a doormat. You got to stick up for yourself, right? So how do we balance that? with this idea of humility. What does it truly mean to be humble as Jesus is? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's what the story is about. This is uh, the story that, um, you know, Connie and the praise team, uh, like the songs were very much fitting of this story that we often read on what we call Palm Passion Sunday. Traditionally, we just call it Palm Sunday. But recently, we've been trying to Um, make it both Palm and Passion Sunday because I'm just going to be honest with you, not everyone comes to Good Friday, right? And and so you could come to Palm Sunday and, you know, there's this great celebration, the palm leaves and Hosanna and Hosanna and it's like this great celebration. And then you come back on Sunday and you're like, Jesus is alive! And you miss all of this other stuff that's very, very important. And so we have to mention the passion. This story exists, and Connie was alluding to this um, this morning before we got started, that um, this story exists in the shadow of the cross. You have to remember that. And so Jesus is entering Jerusalem, and what happens is that he specifically tells his disciples to go find a donkey. It's very weird, <laughs> right? And friends, I think this little detail, which honestly, they spend a lot of time on this in scripture. Like the different accounts, like, so he says, go into the village in front of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to, to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord needs them and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. So it, it, it's kind of like a weird detail, but we are told this was told to, uh, uh, this happened in this way to fulfill uh, what was said by the prophet. It's a prophecy, right? Um, it's supposed to happen in this way. This is intentional. And so this is the scripture that uh, 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 is kind of the prophecy of what Jesus is doing. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. And so uh, I, I got to say, um, it's not really clear to me. I mean, in this story, they say a donkey and a colt. What kind of colt? Is it the colt of a horse? Is it the colt of a donkey? I'm not really sure. If there's two donkeys or there's a donkey and a young horse, honestly, it's not that important. But the things that are important, so there's a couple things here. One is that we are told that the king is coming on a donkey. Think about that prophecy for a second. If you were to hear that, 
No context, right? You didn't know about Jesus. You didn't know about the Hosanna thing. You didn't know about Palm Sunday. And you just heard, yo, the president is coming. The king of England is coming. They're like, oh, word? Is it going to be like a big, huge procession? Right? Are they going to be coming in limos or Rolls Royces? They're like, nah, man, they're coming in a 1989 Hyundai Elantra. If you guys don't know what that car is, it's not a Rolls Royce. <laughs> it's not a good car, right? They're coming on a bicycle, right? They're coming and, you know, just in the most humble way possible. In that day and age, if a king were to enter a city, they would come on a mighty steed, on a war horse, right? And they would come with an army, and they would be wearing armor, right? And they would be coming in in such a way that was symbolic of their power. And everyone would fall on their faces and worship and, you know, like, like give them honor because they could tell they were truly great and powerful. But this prophecy tells us your king is going to be a humble king, Right? Your king is coming to you humble, low. That's what it means. To be humble means to be low. And mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. So, uh, uh, I, I don't know, maybe like the king comes in a pickup truck. You know, just like this very kind of like workman, blue collar type of vehicle. Not something you would expect, right? So, a beast of burden is not something that a king would have to bother himself with. You know who has beast of burdens? Common folk. Poor people, right? And in this society, the vast majority of people, uh, common people, and you know, people that were like abjectly poor, would have been considered poor by our definition. The vast majority of people in this society, right? And Jesus comes like one of them. The colt is just something that they found right outside of the city, right? The donkey also, right? These are just ordinary animals. And that's the symbolism here. Jesus comes like one of us. We sang all these songs about how glorious God is, how glorious the king is. And last week, we talked about the fear of the Lord. Right? How we have to understand. You know, don't get it twisted. You see Jesus coming on a donkey. And you could be mistaken into thinking that Jesus was pathetic or poor, right? With no context. But we know that this is actually God, right? Taking human form and purposely lowering himself to be like all of us, with all of us, right? There are definitely moments where there's stories of God's splendor. There's a story uh, of Isaiah seeing a vision of God where God's train, right, like, like the kind of like back of his robe, fills the entire temple. It's just a crazy story. Just the back of his robe, just one part of his robe, it fills the entire temple. Can you imagine how big this God is? And he makes himself to be just an ordinary man riding a donkey. It's such a reversal, right? It's such a reversal of the way we normally think about power. 
And so the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. What are they doing? They're creating, I mean, it's like almost like, like, like a, a bed of roses kind of thing. Not a bed of roses, but like you ever see like at weddings where they like throw the rose petals and stuff, or maybe you see in movies they do that for a king. That's kind of what they're doing, right? They're trying to make a way for this king. But these are common folk. They didn't know this was happening. They weren't really prepared, right? So they're just taking their cloaks and they're just throwing it on the ground. And they're taking the tree branches and they're throwing it on the ground. And so this is a beautiful scene. But friends, I got to say, it's a very ordinary scene in many ways. It's beautiful in its worship. And there is a certain kind of glory and splendor to this. But it's very, very earthy, right? And, and so the, the, the crowds that uh, went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. So I want to unpack this for a moment. So, Hosanna is an expression of praise that literally means save. Now, just like a lot of our English words, right? Like, we don't always know the etymology or the, like, the root meaning of things. You know, you just say them, and, and you don't really think about what they mean. And that may have been what's happening here. It just kind of became like, huzzah! Or in Korean, you know, sometimes like, people just shout these things that are just like nonsense, right? Like, they say, like, fighting! And they're like, what, what does that mean? You know? But, but it's like, you're not, like, like f- fighting? Like, you're in the process of fighting. Like, you're not supposed to think about it, right? You're just like, go, right? Yeah! You know? And it's that same kind of thing, I think, right? It's an expression of praise, but it literally means save, save, like save us. Kind of interesting, right? Hosanna to the son of David. So the son of David, that is a way of saying that they believe Jesus is the Messiah, this promised king that was going to restore the power, the power of Israel. This is what they believe, right? They thought that Jesus was coming in to kick butt. This is what they thought, right? That that, that he was coming in to overthrow the Roman authorities. And Jerusalem was the city of David, right? Was the capital city. And they're like, oh, shoot, we're about to take back Jerusalem. Mm, Look out, Rome, here we come. And this is what they were saying, right? Save, save the son of David, the Messiah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. Who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. There's a couple things going on here. Is that who Jesus is? The prophet? A prophet? Who comes from Nazareth of Galilee? Is that all he is? The people don't fully get it at this point, right? They don't know yet. And there is a little kind of bittersweet feeling that always comes with Palm Sunday. Because this is Sunday, y'all, and by Friday, Jesus is dead. And when Jesus is put on trial, like, like there's lots of people in the city, right? And, and, and this is like during the time of the Passover, so a lot of people would be flocking to Jerusalem. There's a big crowd here welcoming Jesus. And they're like, Hosanna! Yeah, the Messiah! Yeah, get him! Yeah, fighting! Right? And they're like pumped up. They're excited. Right? 
And then later, there's going to be a big, big trial. And Pilate trots out Jesus in front of the people. And he's wearing a purple robe. Now, if you guys don't know, purple robes are what kings would wear. And he's wearing a crown of thorns. And usually when you see this, like in the movies, like the, the robe is just partially on because the rest of him is naked. And, and you know, he, he's just, like he looks so ridiculous in this partial robe and this crown of thorns, and they're mocking him. Hey, the king of the Jews. Hey, look at the king of the Jews. What do you want us to do with the king of the Jews? And this crowd of people who is in Jerusalem, same time, right? It's the same week, y'all. Probably, probably, some of the same people. Some of the same people. Earlier, like, Hosanna, yeah! Later, they're like, crucify him! Get him out of here! Kill him! Woo! How does that flip like that? How does that flip like that? I got one word for you. Power. Now, when Jesus was coming in, and they're like, oh, here we go, here we go. They wanted to be on the winning side. Now they see Jesus stripped, seemingly stripped of power, and he's at the hands of a different kind of power, right? The Roman authorities. And now (laughs) the, the tune has changed. They're not like, look at how humble he is. Look at that great example. They're like, get this guy out of here. We don't want this kind of king. We don't want a bleeding, weak king, right? And so, friends, this is a part of the story that I I know it's just so easy to gloss over. But this idea, I, I just have this question for you. Do you want a humble king? Do you really want a humble king? Because this is the thing, right? A lot of the people, they're like, yeah, Jesus, we're going to follow you, right? And when Jesus seems powerful, a lot of people want to hop on board, right? But when Jesus is weak, then a lot of people, (laughs) they change their tune. And so, friends, it's a question that we have to ask in the church, right? I mean, there are times where um, Christianity, just throughout the ages, has been very, very powerful, Right? And there's times where it was very, very powerless. And there were times where uh, to be a Christian meant that you would actually, uh, you could be murdered, right? You could be brought up on charges and they could torture and kill you for worshiping, you know, what they considered to be a false god, you know, blasphemy, that kind of thing, right? And this actually happened in the Roman Empire for many, many years. This idea that, that because uh, in many ways, the emperor was thought of as a god. And oftentimes they would say, like, Augustus, you know what the title was? Guys, you'll never guess. You know what the title was for Caesar? The Son of God. (laughs) That was the title. So what did it mean when you said Jesus is the Son of God, (laughs) right? So friends, I I know all of us are like, yeah, this is a theological meaning that Jesus is the Son of God. It It is that. It is that. But it is a not subtle, for people of that time, it is a not subtle meaning act of sedition, right? To say, oh no, I'm going to worship this son of God, not that one, not the one wearing the crown and with the armies. And so what did they do to people who wouldn't worship uh, the God that was Caesar? They would kill them. They would torture them, right? 
And, 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 you know, the funny thing is that, yes, for many, many years, and even still, there are countries where people are persecuted for being Christians. People are in prison for owning Bibles, right? This still happens today in 2022, believe it or not. But the funny thing is, is there's a kind of subversive power that happens. In those situations, you would think that the church would be extinguished. Because, by the way, do you think that, um, you know, Christianity was the first kind of like, you know, messianic religion that came up during this time? Of course not. There are many, many would-be messiahs, right? They read the same Hebrew scripture. They're like, yeah, follow me. Let's overthrow Rome. Every single one of them was put down with force and violence. You never hear from them again, except for Christianity, except for Christianity. And our religion, in many ways, is a religion of power, but it is not the kind of power that this world understands. It's actually, paradoxically, a power that is gained only when you are weak and only when you are humble. The church grew under persecution. People's faith, they grew. Right? Like, I mean, seriously, how do you stamp out a religion when someone comes to you and they're like, hey, you need to recant. You need to say you don't believe in this God anymore or or we'll kill you. And they're like, okay, kill us. (laughs) How do you stop that? How do you stop that? You don't. Right? But there have been moments in, in, in in, in this country, in many parts of the world, where being a Christian was the easiest thing in the world. It's just following the power. Actually, the Methodist Church that we're a part of, the United Methodist Church, at one point was not just the largest uh, Protestant denomination in America, but at one point was the largest church, period. And so the Methodist movement started very humble. It started uh, a lot working class, a lot of poor, right? And started to really gain strength. And then after a while, it got so big that... Rich and powerful people wanted to go to church to be seen, right? And they would donate lots of money to build big churches, right? And so, you know, the United Methodist Church started to be a church of the rich and powerful, of a lot of people. It was just the biggest church, you know? But as it got bigger and bigger, as it got more powerful in worldly terms, there was another kind of power that we lost. And we've seen that in the church in America, I saw this video, this really powerful video of this pastor talking to um, imprisoned saints in China who have been uh, imprisoned and persecuted and tortured for their faith. And and if they find a Bible, man, bad, bad things are going to happen to them. So you know what they do? They smuggle the Bible on little pieces of paper, and then they memorize it, and they eat the paper so no one will see it. And they sit there, and they just treasure these little, little words that are on this piece of paper. And they memorize this word over and over and over again. And some of these Christians have to travel long, long distances to find other Christians to worship with, right? Because some of their churches have been eradicated and rooted out, right? And so so they travel far, far distances. And one of these... um, One of these... uh, uh, Chinese Christians was saying uh, to this pastor from America and was saying, would you pray for us that our church could become like yours one day? And this pastor said, I will never pray that. I pray that our church 
will become like yours. So we have churches on every street corner, right? And if the church is like more than five miles away, people don't want to go. Church is more than an hour, people don't want to go, right? We have more Bibles than we know what to do with, and nobody reads them, <laughs> right? There is this weird thing that happens when we understand truly where power comes from. Uh, so, so this is just like a scene from like a movie of, uh, just so you could kind of see it, um, of Jesus like entering in on this donkey. Yes, it's a beautiful scene, right? But it just, it, it, it looks kind of weird. <laughs> Let's be honest. Like Jesus on this donkey, it's not a conquering hero. Friends, but is this the king that you want to follow? If we follow a humble king, then it means that we also must have a humble life. This is what John Piper said about humility. He said, every good thing in the Christian life grows in the soil of humility. Without humility, every virtue and every grace withers. That's why Calvin said humility is first, second, and third in the Christian faith. When people don't have power um, in the Christian religion, Uh, This weird thing happened where Jesus came alongside us and said, well, you don't have power. Well, Jesus has come actually to be with you. But in this country and in this world, when people don't have power, we are so desperate to grasp for it. Do you guys guys listen to rap or hip-hop? Have you ever noticed something about rap and hip-hop? Is that there's a form of, uh, of like speech and expression that is called braggadocio. There's actually a term for it. I know it kind of sounds like, you know, like, like, I don't know, some sort of um, musical term. But braggadocio is this practice of just trying to puff yourself up, of trying to make yourself better than you actually are. You brag about how much money you have. Oh, I spent all this money, and I have all these cars, and, you know, I have all these women, and all these kinds of things, right? And that's very, like, if you guys have listened to any kind of rap or hip-hop for five seconds, you know that this is all of rap and hip-hop. Right? And so you have to understand that hip-hop came from the streets. And it came from people who were largely poor and would be considered in our society powerless. And the way that you rose in the ranks in hip-hop is you would battle other MCs. And so you would go to these clubs and they would have these nights where you know, you'd have an open mic and you would get on the mic and you would just try to show that you are nicer than the next MC. Right? And oftentimes the way you did that is by bringing them down about insulting them and talking about how they were worse than you and how you were better than them. And friends, I don't mean to pick on rap or hip-hop, right? But this is a microcosm in many ways of the way our society is, of the way that we grasp for power. But this is not the way of Christ. It is not the way of Christ. (laughs) As an aside, there's a really um, well-known New York MC, this guy who, um, I don't know if he was always a Christian, but he grew up in the same scene, like battle rap and all this kind of stuff. And he decided to record just a Christian album where he was just going to praise God and all this stuff. And it's so weird because he's like, you know, talking about God and all this stuff. But at the same time, he's still doing the battle rap thing, right? And he's still like insulting people, you know? And he's still talking about how great he is. I'm like, this doesn't sound right, you know? That's not really the way of Christ. And I, I know there's, there's, there's people who have done this. There are, actually are Christian rap artists who 
It's not about tearing other people down. They're just bringing glory to God. You can definitely do that. But friends, I want to show you. This is Philippians chapter 2. And this shows us the way of Christ, the way that we are actually supposed to live in this world. It says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any uh, affection from, and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Friends, we have said this many, many times, that the point of the Christian life is not just to go to heaven when you die, that Jesus did this stuff for you and then you don't have to do it. The point is union. You are supposed to become one with Christ, and Paul understood that. And so he's saying that, yo, don't just listen to my words and take comfort from it. I want you to become like me as I am becoming like Christ. And how, what is Christ like? I'm glad you asked. This is what he says. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. And then he's going to show us the mind of Christ, the heart of Christ. Uh, have this mind among, you, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, Jesus was powerful. He had all the power in the universe, but he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. A lot of scholars believe that this section of Philippians is an early Christian hymn. And, And so this was a song sung in praise of God. And we start with the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, but he empties himself of that power. He comes to earth and he can bleed just like us right? He gets tired and hungry, just like us. He has to smell poop, just like us. I'm just trying to emphasize, he's just like us. He became low, right? And he's got to go through all this stuff. And what this hymn is saying, because Jesus did this, this is what makes him glorious, right? He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, He gave his life for all of us. That's why he went to the cross, friends. And this is eminently glorious, right? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Guys, do you guys know what that name is? Do you guys remember? We actually mentioned it last week when we were talking about the fear of the Lord and the greatness of God, that God has a name, right? The name that is above every other name. Every Jewish person would know exactly what Paul was talking about. Paul doesn't say it because he's a good Jew. right? He would not write it out. But that name is Yohevadhe. I am that I am. You guys notice that, that, that we, we often say Jesus is Lord. The way you see Yohevadhe in the Old Testament, instead of seeing that name because it's too holy, what does it say instead? What does it say instead, guys? What does it say instead? It starts with an L. I just said it. Rhymes with sword. Lord! Jesus is 
Lord, Jesus is Yohevarhe. Guys, it is earth shattering. He is the God of the whole universe. He is higher than anyone else. He has all the power. And he gave it away for us. For us. So that's why Paul says, that's why we fall on our faces and worship. That's why at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus also tells us this, and this is another scripture that we, 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 we might say, but we don't fully understand. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The Christians who have been persecuted in different countries and throughout the ages, they had a power that none of us have. It's the very power of God. And it is a power that is not of themselves. Right? And this is something that Christians have always understood. If you want to access the power of God, then you must make yourself low. You must become weak so that he can be strong. Right? And in many ways, this is what our Christian journey is. What do we do with this, friends? Well, friends, what I would like to do today is to just meditate on the humility of Christ, who is actually God, right? He is the Son of God. And he came to this earth, and he was humble. And he came riding on this donkey, and he did this for all of us. Can we just worship him for that? Can we just love him for that? Can we just receive that gift? Just wanting that to become a part of us too, to see that humility is beautiful, to see that it is the conduit for the power of God. Can I ask the priest team to come up? And Yeah, friends, let's just, uh, just, just meditate on that for a moment. Meditate on all that Jesus has done for you. By the end of the week, we, we said this, Jesus is going to be wearing a crown, but it is a crown of thorns. And Jesus um, goes through not just physical pain, guys. That's only a part of it. But it's also the humiliation, right? Um, do you guys know the difference between humility and humiliation? <laughs> uh, humility is something that we lift up and we say, oh, that's a good thing. Like, look, they chose to be humble. Humiliation, usually you did not choose it. Somebody did that to you, right? And we reject that. We're like, no, 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 you can't humiliate us, Right? But sometimes we do get humiliated in life. And maybe for some of you, you, you've been struggling as I've been talking about this. Like, you know, you're like, okay, Pastor Steve, I understand this is the Christian story, but you're really telling me to become powerless? You're telling me to become a doormat? I'm not telling you to become a doormat, right? Because the difference is, is that becoming a doormat means that you actually have no power. But when Christ is living in you, you actually have all the power. And so Jesus, it seemed like he was powerless, but he knew the whole time that he would rise on Sunday. He knew that. 
He knew the power of God. And so when people were doing their worst to him, Jesus was like, you don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know how truly powerful my father is. You can't touch me. You can't hurt me in any ultimate way. He knew that. And friends, let's just take a moment to just meditate on the power of God, on how great he is. And knowing that we don't need to be the ones to puff ourselves up. We don't need to become powerful in the eyes of the world, in the ways of the world, because God is already powerful. Whenever the church has tried to become powerful, we screw things up. <laughs> so friends, we got to get back to the root. We need to be humble. We need to remember and honor this humble king. Are we singing humble king, by the way? Yeah, let's make this our prayer. And you guys, if you want to just like read the words as praise team is singing, if you guys want to sing along, you know, you can definitely do that. But let's make that, um, yeah, just, just let's prayerfully just celebrate and remember this beautiful, powerful, but humble king.